Lunch with Pippa Hudson. And now, Consumer Talk featuring Wendy Nola. Wendy is joining us via Zoom today and we're going to be updating you on that issue of timeshare contract cancellations as well as dealing with a listener's question about exclusions on return policies. As I mentioned, I hope we'll have time for some open line calls at the end as well. You can join the conversation on 021-446-0567 or by sending a voice note to 0725671567. Just a reminder, the SMS line playing games with us today, so please don't use that. Rather WhatsApp or in if you must, send an email to H at capetalk.co.za. Great to have you back with us, Wendy. Welcome. Thank you, Pippa. We've spoken many times before about the timeshare contract issue, the, the deal that sounded like a great idea at the time, but either didn't live up to expectations or perhaps the customer's financial circumstances change and they find they need to exit the contract and then find that doing so is harder than putting on a dry wetsuit, Wendy. Uh, and that's before we talk about cancellation fees. Yes, exactly. So way back when, um, the uh, before the CPA, yeah, before the CPA came into effect in 2011, um, most of these contracts had kind of like a never-ending sort of clause. Um, they just wanted to, uh, to obviously keep on getting these levies, annual levies in perpetuity. And um, in many cases, people couldn't make bookings or they'd got to the point where they had, you know, got old and they just weren't mm. in a position to uh, take uh, advantage of their spend. Anyway, so... Um, in both cases, what happens then is that they can't get out of these uh, never-ending contracts without uh, getting some legal help, which of course carries its own expense. Yeah, and that's what we're talking about today because we were, I'm very happy to report, able to facilitate some legal assistance for a desperate listener, pro bono. And so we want to share some feedback on how the attorneys took on that challenge and won, incidentally, of course. And yeah, yeah I mean, for others to learn from Absolutely. That. That's the bottom line. It's not just about this one listener's case, but hoping that others might learn from the experience and perhaps try adopting some of the moves the lawyers used in this case in their own case. So, Wendy, you've mentioned a bit of the context, but just take us back. I mean, you've mentioned this obviously before the introduction of the Consumer Protection Act. It was a very different animal. But even since the introduction of the CPA, they've been on ongoing issues. Take us back to five years ago. The National Consumer Commission released a report on the timeshare industry, having conducted a really intensive investigation. Just remind us what that report found and, and what we learned at the time. Okay. So, so yes, they they embarked on, on uh, fact-finding missions around the country. They had uh, um, hearings for people to attend and tell these stories. I attended a couple of them. They were pretty harrowing. Um, and when the report was finally released, um, I think it was December 2018, Cape Town-based consumer attorney Trudy Brookman, who is a friend of the show, said that the report presented what she called a picture of an industry with apparently no regard for ethics or the interest of their clients. Yo. So the commission, pretty damning, but yeah. I mean, she wasn't the only one to say that. That was, um, you know, apart from those in the industry, that was the, the widespread reaction. So the commission details multiple contraventions of not only the CPA, but also the common law, the Property Timesharing Control Act, the National Credit Act, and uh, the Companies Act and the Competitions Act. So <laughs> they were pretty offending provisions of those laws yeah. um, willy-nilly. Um, so where timeshare sales were made, 
to vulnerable groups of consumers, so especially the old or semi-literate, um, the commission was of the view that they should be handled with a view to immediately and unconditionally releasing consumers from these contracts. They um, tasked the Consumer Goods and Services Ombud with handling a lot of those cases, and I know that they settled many of them. But, um, yeah, because the report said there's a wealth of provisions in the CPA alone to address many, if not most, of the problems consumers have raised in connection with the consumer, with the timeshare industry. So then why but, are we still talking yeah, about this five years later? It's a very good question. Um, a lot of the people uh, who are still stuck and, and receiving demands to pay these levies and not getting any joy with their request for cancellation are, are elderly, as I said. They are being told, yes, sure, you can exit, but you'll first pay us you know, several thousand rand. Mm. Um, and there they sit. And also many of them don't have the means for, for legal representation. So that brings us to our case study. In late August, we got an email from Melissa seeking help. Seeking help for her hairdresser, Celia's mom, Hmm. who was in just a situation. So sadly, her dad was murdered a few years back at their family business. And at that time, the timeshare was transferred from his name to Celia's mom's name. The the, the industry loves this inheritance thing, like you're doing the person a favor, whereas Hmm. it came out in the commission hearings that that was absolutely the thing you wouldn't wish upon your, your worst was enemy. enemy was to let them inherit your your, your timeshare contract. Um, so um, they thought they had to sell the points to get out of it. And at the time of, of, of their dad's death, it was just too much to deal with. And in the email, um, Celia wrote, after your chat with Trudy Brookman a few years back, I managed to relieve my elderly parents of the holiday club contract through a letter of resignation. I advised Celia to listen to the podcast and help her write a letter of resignation on her elderly mom's behalf. I love that that she tried to actually do it, you know, do a DIY there, which would work for her. But in this case, not so. Holiday Club advised her that they can and will charge a reasonable notice and cancellation fee, which was twelve months' notice and a cancellation fee of. Eight, well, almost nine thousand eight hundred nine hundred eight thousand rather nine hundred and six rand. And she ended the email saying, "Please, can you advise if this is reasonable? It seems unreasonable to me. It's a lot of money for a pensioner and a widow. My friend and her mom cannot afford this, and they cannot also afford Trudy Brookman's fees. What can you advise?" They signed the contract in 1994. Can you believe sure. it? Almost 30 years ago. Uh, and so she, we not to say, you know. It, it, if a contract doesn't comply with the CPA, surely it's null and void. Surely there are no fees due. I may be wrong, but I know my elderly parents did not have to pay such a large fee when I cancelled their contract for them. So I had a chat with Trudy, who, as always, was happy to take on her case. She explained the circumstances. She said that she would do it pro bono. The Thanks, case was actually handled by... Thank you, Trudy. The case was actually handled by a senior associate with the firm, Gerard van der Merwe. So we've invited him on to the show today to chat about this particular case and also the issue in general where we sit five years on with these will not die Thank you for that background and welcome. Gerard van der is joining us on the line. And Gerard, let me start by just echoing what Wendy said. Thank you to you and Trudy for being willing to take on this case and fight on behalf of Celia's mom. Uh, And welcome back to the show. It's always lovely to chat to you. 
I thought, uh, thanks a lot. It was absolutely our pleasure to help Celia's mom out. It's such a tragic situation that we just couldn't sit back and let it slide. And also very good to be back on the show. Thank you. <laughs> now, when Celia first approached the timeshare company, and the first thing she did was say, please, can you send me a copy of the contract that my parents signed um, so that we can take a look at what they actually agreed to? And to her surprise, the answer was no, we're not going to send you a copy. And I quote from the feedback they sent her, there is no legal requirement for your agreement with the Holiday Club to provide in writing the policy or its cancellation terms and conditions. Neither the CPA nor the Property Timesharing Control Act make such a requirement. And in terms of the common law, in the absence of any contractual provision, cancellation is generally accepted as being on reasonable notice. This has been accepted by the timeshare industry. I would have been furious if I got that feedback. Um, But I, I gather this is not an uncommon response, that the first thing the industry tries to do is dodge the paperwork entirely. Are they allowed to say, no, you can't have a copy of the contract? No, they definitely aren't allowed. Unfortunately, all the all the clubs have the sort of copy and paste response that they get, that they send out initially when a consumer contacts them and tries to cancel, where they give you a raft of options. Either you can downgrade your points or you have to transfer it to a family member or you can try and sell it, which is absolute nonsense because you get 120 rand for a point is the last time I checked. Mm. Uh, and then they also go in with the nonsense of not having to give you the agreement. That's nonsense. Section 33 of the CPA clearly states that they need to provide a consumer with all the cancel- cancellation, refund, etc. policies that may be applicable. And especially in this instance, the initial agreement having been signed in 1994 already, no one keeps records for that long. And obviously, Ms. Uh, Ms. Correa, after she took transfer of the points, signed a new transfer agreement with new scheme rules and a new constitution being applicable, but they just never provided her mm. with that, which is ridiculous. Mm. How do they expect you to be bound to terms and conditions that you've never had fights with? It seems absolutely crazy. Absolutely. So, I mean, you then, are, sorry, go, Wendy. Sorry, Pippa. Um, the issue of the, you know, this is, uh, we're giving you reasonable, uh, you must provide reasonable notice um, coupled with that almost 9,000 rand penalty. How did you counter that claim? As I'm sure you've done many times. Uh, yeah, look, we've, we've uh, the current count is 743 timesheet uh, agreements that we've successfully cancelled. So the starting point is always to have a look at the agreement. I've done so many of them that I know all the agreements by the back of my hand for the various periods that they were entered into. And most of them simply do not comply with the Property Timesharing Control Act. They contravene the CPA and in applicable circumstances also the NCA where you buy your points on credit. So obviously when you cancel the agreement on legal grounds for non-compliance with the applicable legislation or where there was breach by the supplier, then this whole story of reasonable notice or whatever notice and cancellation fees, that completely falls away. That's unnecessary because you cancel the agreement because of the fact that it was out of void from the beginning because of the misrepresentations that they make or because of the fact that it doesn't comply with all these acts and therefore your your remedy is to cancel. The law allows you and also the breach on their side 
specifically its uh, common thread with all the timeshare clubs, and it was highlighted in the 2018 report as well. Most of the clubs simply do not have enough stock of accommodation in their portfolio to cater for the number of members that they have. Mm. So you never get a, a booking at the spot that you want over the period that you want, and that constitutes breach. And one of the remedies for breach of contract is cancellation without any penalties, without any penalty uh-huh. to be given by the consumer. So we, we style our cancellation letters on the various breaches of the agreement, the various contraventions of the applicable legislation, and then also the misrepresentation aspect of it, because they promise you the moon and the stars, and it's an investment in future holidays, et cetera, et cetera, which is <laughs> clearly not the case. Okay. As a matter of interest, Gerard, do you, do you know how they arrived at that figure of na- almost 9,000 rand? Was it, is it a thumb cycle? Does it actually represent... Mm some actual... I I would say it's a fun fact. Uh, We've asked on many occasions, give us a calculation, give us a breakdown on how you arrive at it. And Boasa's code of conduct actually says that when a a member of Boasa gives out a cancellation notice or a penalty amount, they can be requested to give a, a indication as how how it was calculated based on what was it calculated and it should be justifiably equitable as well but like i said just to come back to to the point of if the agreement's void of an issue or you as a supplier has, has breached it then you aren't entitled to any notice fees or notice periods or cancellation fees it's so important uh, to know that. Now, in this case, Kerot, so you, you put that, you pushed back to the Holiday Club and you put all of this to them. What was their response? Is, uh, is Celia's mom finally free of the contract? Did she end up having to pay anything at all? Look, at this stage, they haven't responded on Celia's mom's case specifically. Okay. On previous matters, they do send a copy and paste reply where they just reiterate what they've told to the consumers umpteenth times, and then I write back to tell them, you're missing the point. We aren't cancelling in terms of your cancellation policy, which we've never had tight of, despite asking for it hundreds mm. of times. But we are basing it on the contents of our letter, which specifically states that you've breached the agreement, your agreement contravenes the sections of the CPA and the Property Timesharing Control Act. So we invite you to debate the issues with us if you don't agree with us on on those aspects, but that's also never happened. And in, in any event, when you cancel the agreements the way that we do on legal basis, then it's not necessary for the for the club or the other contracting party to accept or to acknowledge the the cancellation. When we send off the cancellation, the agreement has effectively been cancelled. Thank you for that. Okay. Gerard, just in closing then, what advice would you give to others who are in a similar situation? I mean, it seems that, that some have have success making these kind of arguments on their own and don't have to resort to hiring an attorney to do so on their behalf. But any general advice you'd share with listeners who are facing the same predicament of not being able to get out of these contracts? Look, really, I'd say the, the most important part is just to, to keep pushing back. Unfortunately, the clubs do do take consumers for a ride because most of them, like you saw, elderly, elderly people, because when the timeshare industry boomed, a lot of people that are now elderly were sucked into the trap and now can't get out of it because they, yeah, they 
can't pay, they can't afford the levies, they can't even afford to go on holiday, or they're just simply too old to travel. But now they sit with it and they can't get rid of it. And it's not just timeshare as, as such, where you look at the holiday club, flexi club, etc. The same goes for, for shares in a share block um, company or these joint ownerships where you get a, a week in a sectional title property that you can go vacation at every year. We've also had success in, in getting people rid of those shares and those types of ownership as well. Um, I'd say try and, and, and as far as possible rely on the CPA, but the, the clubs are very obstinate. They don't really listen. I know um, Melissa was quite lucky. Um, many of our other clients were able to cancel on their own, but then they did have to pay those exorbitant mm-hmm. cancellation fees. So I'd say you can rather pay a, a consumer attorney that specializes in, in cancellation of timeshare agreements. The fees are generally much lower than your annual levies and the cancellation fees that they, they impose on you. And like I said, 99% of the agreements simply do not fall foul of, of all the applicable legislation. Gerard van Amerva, thank you so much for joining us and sharing that advice. And thanks for all the work you've put in assisting this particular family. So just as a starting point, if you ask for a copy of your agreement and they're trying to tell you they're not obliged to give you one, the section to quote back at them is that it is required by the CPA in section 33, subsection 3F. That can be your first uh, volley point if you try and argue it on your own. Thank you again, Gerard. And uh, we'll be back with more consumer news. Cape Talk. Consumer Talk. WhatsApp on 072-567-1567. Well, just before the break, we were discussing difficulties cancelling timeshare contracts. And while we're in the vicinity of holiday-related stories, Wendy, if I may, I just want to share an alert that's been shared with us by Sun International over the last half hour or so. There is apparently a scam um, notice doing the rounds that several people have fallen for and they've put out an official statement to try and alert co- uh, consumers to be on the watch for it. Um, Sun International, let me just read it to you as it came to me. Sun International is making an urgent appeal to visitors not to respond to any social media posts purportedly offering accommodation and dinner at any Sun City hotel for only 25 rand a night. Big red flag there immediately, Wendy. If this, if something looks too good to be true, it generally is. And unfortunately, yeah. um, uh, you know, so many people are too cash-strapped to be able to even consider a holiday. The thought of getting lucky and winning a, t- a so-called deal at 25 Rand was clearly too much for some people to resist. Here's the background, though. What the scammers are doing is putting it out as a celebration of 50 years of Sun City luxury, a sort of a, a holiday milestone special offer to a lucky few people. And the first big red flag is that if you Google Sun City, you'll see that it's opened in 1979. So it's not even close to 50 or 55 uh, years old yet. Uh, Sun City General Manager Brett Hopper saying the scam is clearly intended to defraud people. We're asking members of the public to be careful when responding to special offers that don't come directly from Sun City or Sun International. Before applying to any accommodation offer for any Sun International property, please confirm it is a valid deal by visiting their official website, which is suninternational.com, and rather book through their direct booking platform. So what's happening is this offer looks like it comes from Sun City Resorts, looks like a wonderful opportunity for a few people to score a great deal. And then, of course, the click-through link that is in there 
is a scam um a scam click and you are opening yourself to all kinds of uh, fishing one assumes uh, wendy again if it's too looks too good to be true it generally is yeah i think these scammers were a bit amateur hour actually 25 rand i mean if they'd said 250 or a thousand rand it's still a ridiculously cheap offer mm. maybe they would have caught more people but again it comes down to something that we say again and again Pippa, and that is you've got to check the url yeah. Before you do no no clicking through, or if you do click, just look at that URL, and you have to know what the genuine uh, website address is in order to know that you that this is a scam. Yeah. So it's just those few minutes. Um, but what the scammers um, aim for here, as with most, most of these scams, is to catch you either with a fraud-related thing, and so you're worried that you, you're going to be defrauded, um, so your common sense is a little um, dimmed, mm. or he has a chance to score big, get in quick. So in both those scenarios, you're, you, you're, you're, you know, they aim to, to um, dim your, your common sense um, and and make you not sort of do the usual check. So yeah, this is a pretty. I mean, twenty five rand. Are they are they mad? They but in a game, all you you know, before responding, just one quick Google and you'd have found out. I mean, they didn't even. That's what I'm saying. They did. They they could have said. 44 years old or almost 45 or something like that mm. um, and being a bit more believable. And also, I mean, 25 at this time of year when everyone's got sort of December vibes, um, it's there's never, this is not going to be maybe in January or February, but you're not going to get a super special offer at this time of year or never. So, I mean, so many red flags there. The fact that, that people have fallen for this and, and prompting this morning tells you um, that, you know, the vast majority of consumers are, are are just ripe for the for the picking of the tricking. Yeah, in this case, which is really unfortunate. Thanks for for that input. Okay, and just just quietly spread the word. If you do see it being shared on any platforms, please comment immediately that it is a scam and not to fall for it. Okay, now Wendy, let's move on to another kind of repeat conversation because we've spoken often about returns policies and they continue to be a point of contention and often confusion for our listeners, no matter how often we talk about them. This week, though, it's a slightly different one from the norm. You had an interesting engagement on Twitter or X about exclusions from return policies. Tell us what happened. Yes, indeed. And and I haven't spoken about these exclusions, so that was remiss of me. So thanks to Nikki, who, who um, tagged both of us on this uh, X post, she wrote, I've ordered three books from Take A Lot to look at and decide between them, only to discover that they are all non-refundable. Is this allowed as I ordered them online? Should I not have seven days to return them? So the notice that she got reads, non-returnable, no warranty at all, except for delivery damages if applicable. So as I've said many times, online purchases are regulated by the Electronic Communications and Transactions Act, which gives us a cooling off period of seven days, Nikki was right, in which to change our minds and return the goods. The Act does say that um, the only requirement is that we pay the return costs, but of course, um, Take Lot is one of the few companies that absorb that yeah. return cost. Uh, and then they must refund us um, in full if the goods are in a retailable condition within 30 days. But there are exclusions in the Act. And if you want to Google it for yourself, just Google ECTA. You don't even have to write out the whole thing. And I think it's Section 7, which is consumer protection, and there are a couple of provisions there. And so it's in one of those provisions uh, that you read the goods that are excluded from that seven-day cooling-off period. And they include insurance products, goods bought on an online auction, 
fast moving consumer goods mean for everyday consumption. So think what you're ordering ordering from sixty sixty or pick and pay or Woolies online. Um, anything that um, is is got a very short shelf life. Obviously, it's going to go off in seven days. It's ridiculous that you should be able to return them for a, for a refund. Mm-hmm. Unless there's something wrong with them, of course. And now you could be go into Consumer Protection Act realm where you, you do have recourse. We're talking about change of heart here. Also, purchases for the provision of accommodation, transport, catering, or leisure services, and where the supplier undertakes when the transaction is concluded to provide these services on a specific date or within a specific period. That just reminded me of reading that, that years ago, I wanted to help someone who'd booked a cruise and non-COVID related, pre-COVID. Mm-hmm. And um, she wanted to get out of it. Oh no, sorry, that was another, that was a direct marketing. She'd booked a cruise online as a result of a marketing email. Mm-hmm. And in that case, you do also get a, a cooling off period, any direct marketing and email, um, a phone call, whatever, um, and uh, she, I was able to say, but it was direct marketing, and they, she got her money back. The MD okay. did, but I, I was getting confused. It wasn't that she. The, my argument wasn't that she bought it online. My argument was that it was a direct. She she paid for the cruise as a result of getting that direct marketing message. So um, none of these uh, exclusions apply to direct marketing. They apply to goods that you've bought. Online, so and I think if you think about books, Pippa, I mean, they obviously you order seven books, you've got you could easily, if you're a bookaholic, or three books in this case, you could easily read three read books them and try and return and send them, them all yeah. back. And so, obviously, I'm not saying that's what Nikki had in mind. She said, you know, she wanted to have a quick peruse and decide, but but obviously, that's not fair on the on the supplier to enable a consumer to do that. So okay, so, so by the way, it's not just why books and magazines. I was just going to yeah. say it's not only books, magazines, newspapers, periodicals, anything in that category also falling within that exclusion zone. Okay, so thank you, Nikki, for raising it with us and uh, giving us an opportunity to point that out to our listeners. Kate Talk, Consumer Talk. Call now on 021-446-0567. That is the number to dial if you'd like to raise an open line call. We're also taking your WhatsApps on 072-567-1567. While we're dealing with returns, Wendy, here's a question about returns on the WhatsApp line. Uh, Saying my wife bought a recliner for my birthday this past weekend, Decophone delivered. It's tiny and not suitable for the use we had thought it was for. They're now trying to charge us a 20% handling fee to return it. Is that allowed? Uh, Presumably, the wife bought the recliner in the store. In other words, went into the store and bought it. Is that not clear? Because that's the crucial bit of information. I don't know if they do online sales, but that's a crucial difference. So if that recliner had been bought online, the seven-day cooling off period you were just talking about would apply, and that's uh, a recliner would definitely not fall among the exclusions. So they, as long as they got the chair back to the store at their cost, they would be entitled to, and that it was you know undamaged and the rest by them, then uh, they would be entitled to a full refund within thirty days. However. Uh, if it was bought in store, which I suspect it was, where you do have the opportunity to measure, to sit, to to check that a purchase is exactly what you do want, then uh, they they do not have to take back the product at all uh, unless it's defective. And if they do choose to take it back as a customer service, then they're entitled to impose whatever uh, terms and conditions they see fit. And in many cases, that includes 
some kind of handling fee. Did you say it was 20%? So they've come back, Wendy, to say it was an online purchase and they are trying to charge a 20% handling fee to return it. No, no. I'm very glad the clarification came through in time. No, it was an online sale and they indicated within a week, seven days, that it was not suitable. You don't have to provide a a reason. You just get to change your mind because you didn't have the opportunity to engage with the product fully to see if it was suitable for you. Um, They must refund in full. You have to get the chair back at your cost, and a recliner will be fairly expensive, um, I would imagine. But um, you, you, if you can get it back to them, you would be entitled to a full refund within 30 days. Okay, so if you don't accept that 20% handling fee and you can say, I'll bring it in my car to your store, they're obliged to take it back and refund them in full. Yes, as long as you don't damage it in the process, you'd have to return it in a, a t- completely resellable condition. Okay, thank you for that. And uh, please just let us know if you have any difficulty pushing back on that one. Uh, we'll gladly follow up for you. The next question came in by email a little bit earlier on from Michelle. And Michelle, thank you so much for your message. Uh, she says... What is the policy around an ATM swallowing one's bank card? My card was swallowed by a Capitec ATM. I called the bank while I was still at the ATM, trying to avoid somebody else getting hold of my card and being able to use it. And I was told the bank needs to stop the card and I'll have to go into a branch to get a new card at a cost of 70 Rand. Michelle's question is, why am I the customer paying for the malfunctioning of their ATM? I went into the bank to try and understand why I needed to pay when I hadn't done anything wrong. It's not like I'd broken my card. The only answer I was met with is that it's company policy and they cannot give me a card if I'm not prepared to pay the 70 rand. She says, <laughs> David versus Goliath, I did end up paying for the new card. But what do you make of that scenario? No, I think she's absolutely right. Her instincts were spot on. It wasn't a mistake of her doing. I mean, if you lose your card, and you have to get a new one, then then clearly you would be made to pay. It reminds me of the time my daughter's account was linked to mine. She lost her card, asked me to stop the account because I was the, the main account holder. I said, don't block my card, only block my daughter's. Of course, they blocked both of, of us. Course. And then they said, um, and there'll be a fee. And I went, no, there won't be. And they went, oh, all right. You know, you, you, I should char- she should charge them for the inconvenience of having, having to go into a branch, right, and sort out a problem not of her making. Mm. So please forward me that email or whatever it was, Pippa, and I'll engage with the bank concerned around that because no, there is no justification for that. Okay, Michelle, I'll pop up your email on to, uh, to Wendy immediately after the show today. Thank you so much. Okay, the next one is uh, a WhatsApp from Lyndon. Actually, no, before we go to Lyndon, Nikki, seeing as we've been talking about holiday scams, here is another one that Nikki has flagged. And uh, Nikki tells me she was recently searching for information about accommodation at the West Coast National Park. And she said, my search engine results came up with a fake or copycat website. Initially, it looked like very re- like a very real booking site, lots of photos and content about the very real accommodation available there. I even clicked through to a contact form, but thankfully the email bounced back. And when I looked closer, I noticed some obvious mistakes, which should have alerted me that the site was not genuine. Now, this is interesting. She asks, what should she be doing? Wendy, obviously she spotted it. She's recognized it and thankfully not given over any financial information. She says, do I need to notify Sam? parks of this imitation site on further digging i found a similar one for the karoo national park it looks like someone has made several fake sites for all of the sand parks properties i'm not sure if they're asking for deposits or how they make money through the sites but they are obviously a scam what would you recommend do you think sand parks needs to okay. be alerted 
Yes, I think they need to be alerted. And I think that they would, just like Sun City has done, be obliged to then spread the word through their networks, put a banner on their website, do do whatever it takes. Of course, if you do a Google search and you land up on one of these sites, you know, you're not going to find that warning, obviously. But, you know, they could use their networks, their uh, email previous customers, use social media, which will cost them nothing, um, and just put the word, warning out there. So if you, so if, if you come across these fake sites, I, I would suggest absolutely um, – forwarding it to the to the real company um and then please we've spoken about this the south african fraud prevention service has got a new service which is, wants to be well it's 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 new but it will be a repository for all scams of this kind so report it to them and then others will be warned uh so it's it's whether you've been caught by a scam or whether you want to warn about a scam um it's yema as in stop Y-I-M-A. Just Google that and you'll find it. Um, and then you'll do everybody a favour. Thanks for that reminder. Okay. And then we can quickly squeeze in a question from Lyndon on the WhatsApp. Lyndon signed up for a month-to-month contract with a gym company. And he says, when I advised them that I would be cancelling my contract, they told me I'd have to give them a three-month notice period, thus forcing me to continue paying for another three months. I thought the whole point of a month-to-month contract was that the notice period would only be one month. Is this practice against CPA guidelines? And what is my possible recourse? Okay, so... Usually banks, uh, banks, gyms like to lock you in for 12, 24, mm. 36 months. But I think they realized they were losing a lot of people uh, by not offering month to month. So I'd always uh, advise you to do month to month. And the CPA is very clear on that, saying that you all you need to do to get out of um, such a contract it's, it, that's not a fixed term is give 30 days notice. So even if they've put in the contract, as I'm sure they have, that there's a three-month notice period to get three months extra subscriptions out of you, you you can't contract outside of the law. So if a term in a contract is not um, compliant with uh, the CPA in that regard, it's null and void. So that's what I would suggest that Lyndon does. And please keep us posted. I'd like to know um, how that goes. If you get any pushback, please let us know, and um, I'll do my best to um, contact the company concerned. And if you would like to tell Wendy that you tried that and it didn't work, can she please help? Just a reminder on how to make contact with her. You can send an email to consumer at nola.co.za, spelled K-N-O-W-L-E-R. She knows a lot about consumer affairs. Consumer at nola.co.za. You can also contact her on her Facebook page, Wendy Nola Consumer. And please just remember to put the words Cape Talk in the subject line and a couple of um, identifying words. So, Michelle, I'm going to send it back to Wendy with the subject line Cape Talk ATM Swallowing Bank Card so he knows what to keep an eye out for uh, in her correspondence. Wendy, as always, thanks for the work you do on behalf of our listeners and we'll chat again next week Wednesday. Thanks so much. Keep well till then.